Welcome to Catching Alphas, the podcast for everything fishing. We are brought to you by ctfishguides.com, Connecticut's premier guide service. We are also brought to you today by farmingtonflies.com, your online fly shop specializing in custom flies that are guide tested and fish approved. Follow us on Instagram at at farmington underscore flies, at ctfishguides, and at catching alphas underscore podcast. We are on Facebook and Twitter as CT Fish Guides. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel, CT Fish Guides, for fly tying tutorials, knot tying, and fishing tips. introduce Reese. Reese um, has been carp fishing on the fly successfully. I mean, we've seen his Instagram page. And, um, he's been doing it for a while now. What's up, Reese? How's it going, guys? Good. How are you? Hey. Good. I'm just giving you uh, a fluffing here, a little intro. All so right. Something that was pretty cool that Reese told me was that he never caught a, uh, a carp on a spinning rod, which I think at least for me and my crew was the way that, you know, we got into it. Um, I've been carp fishing since I was 13 years old. And I think, you know, even Mark and I started out catching them on ultralights with <laughs> uh, corn and we're just really, you know, intrigued by the species. And as time went on, you know, even when I was like 14, 15, there wasn't a whole lot available in the U.S. as far as carp fishing i can remember making hair rigs and using uh stoppers out of like grass blades because you couldn't you just couldn't get the tackle here back then um and you know i used i started out fishing for them on on golf courses and um threw the fly rod at them not knowing what they were eating or anything of that but i, I was still trying and throughout the years just gained a huge amount of respect for the species and continued to learn and I'm still learning and um, the goal today is just to maybe educate some people that have never uh, fished fly fished for carp before and maybe give you a starting point and some and some good tips on uh, how you can how you can do so so you know carp fishing in the U.S. has gotten a rocky kind of um, negative um yeah what's the word i'm looking for mark um reputation uh, <clears throat> yeah the the fish has been largely maligned it's been downgraded and talked about as if it was purely an a destructive invasive species that, that you know ruins bass fishing and all those kinds of things it's just a lot of um a lot of negative perception out there about them for sure um, and just to give our viewers a basic knowledge of carp, I mean, the, the most common types of carp I think you're going to hear about are, are common carp, first and foremost. Um, you may hear a little bit about mirror carp and, and grass carp. And I'd like to separate carp from the rest of the species of carp. So you, if you really dig into this stuff, you'll hear references of, again, common, 
mirror. You may hit linear, which is just scales straight down the side of a carp. Scalies, which um, on common carp, the scale pattern is, is relatively uniform all throughout the carp. Scalies, you get big ones and small ones, and it's, you know, there's, it, it, it's, it's, it's different than common. You would know it if you saw it. Um, you'll also hear references to ghost carp or fantails. Fantails are just like their fins are blown out, almost like goldfish. Um, so just to give you an idea of, um, you know, the terms that you might hear out in the carp world. But the, the, the major ones, I think, probably just to start with, are, are common and, uh, and grass carp. So, Unless you're in the Midwest, right? And then there's the Asian carp. Asian which, carp. Yeah, yeah. Which, just not in this area at all. Right. So um, we fielded some questions just through direct messaging through Instagram. And, and we're going to try to fit some of those questions in um, when we feel like the flow is right for it. And I know, uh, Reese, you know, you've, you fielded a, a few questions. Um, but let's start off just with the basics. So like somebody, and this is to you, Reese, somebody that's looking to go out and carp fish, what would be... Uh, a good setup to deploy for carp fishing? Uh, yeah, so I fish either a seven or an eight weight. Um, that's mainly dependent on not necessarily the size of the fish, but how spooky they are. Um, these days I'm fishing mostly an eight weight. Uh, just as I progress as a carp angler, I'm catching more larger fish and the eight weights just preferred. Um, I, I would also add a large net and a good pair of polarized sunglasses are just as valuable as a rod and reel itself. Um, floating lines, 10 to 12 foot liters. I usually fish around a 10 and a half foot 1X. Um, and flies are something we can touch on later. That's really specific to what your fish are feeding on. Yeah. So, so explain, um, or maybe just go into a detail. Why do you like the 10 to 12 foot leader, which I think is probably going to be important. So the reason I like it is if anyone listening to this is familiar with the drag and drop, which we can also touch yeah. on later. Um, I'm sure most trout fishermen aren't too familiar with it. Um, I find the longer leader just gives me a little more wiggle room once I've made my initial cast to, position my fly, uh, reposition my fly in the water. Mm -hmm. And you find like, you know, the, maybe somebody that would deploy like a nine foot leader, like that little extra length. I mean, uh, carp are pretty spooky, right? They're very spooky. Right. So the added leader length is going to help you as well, not get, you know, not spook carp, but get your, yeah, your fly absolutely. positions. Yeah stealthily without without you know having them spook yeah and, yeah it, it definitely helps you from lining fish as well for sure um so i think you know presentation we'll touch on more throughout the episode um so moving on from there um you said tippet size one x are you using fluorocarbon do you stray from one x at all or is it pretty much your go-to um, you know i've i've used fluoro and i i haven't found it to be necessary 
Um, I go through a lot of tippet. You know, if, if I have a good day carp fishing and I catch 10 fish, I might need to change leaders after all those fish just from them. Uh, they they do have dorsal spines, which can right. ruin a leader pretty good and running through vegetation or rocks, depending where I'm fishing. Um, so the nylon is a lot cheaper when you're burning through tippet. For sure. Um, let's talk a little bit about locating carp, which is really important because I think, you know, people get jazzed up about carp fishing and then they may give it one or two goes and they, you know, it's, it's just, I think, finding carp with the fly rod, like you can be in a, a, a river or a pond or a lake where, where carp are prevalent, but finding carp in the, in the right type of water to pursue them with the fly rod, I think is a little different, but what, what do you do to locate carp that you can, you know, pursue on a fly rod? Uh, so shallow water is, is the number one thing I look for. If I know the body of water has carp in it, um, usually I'll hop on Google earth or some other satellite map. I, I just look for light colored shallow bottoms um, and just go walk it and look for bubbles, mud clouds. If you see the fish themselves, that's great. Um, fish crashing. And it, when they feed, they dig and they'll leave little indentations in the bottom. Uh, so if you see that, that's a good sign that carp have fed there. And even if they're not there at that time, it, you should definitely keep that spot on your radar and and how obvious is that to somebody that's never carp fished before uh it's easy to miss but okay. if if you're looking for it you'll pick up on it so one thing you mentioned was fizzing or, or bubbling so um when carp feed on the bottom they often disturb the bottom and i think that's probably what you're seeing right when fish are active yeah. feeding you'll see yeah. and bubbling now, depending if you're, you know, in a pond or a lake, I mean, that could be a turtle. It could be a bunch of other things. If you're on foot, you know, um, getting into position is might be a little easier. Um, if you're from a, a boat and trying to stalk from a boat, you really have to, um, I feel, this is just my opinion, but you have to think ahead of time when approaching from a boat because... Um, you want to have your visual window on your approach to where you think the carp are, because before you know it, you could be on top of them and you blow your chance before you even had a shot. Now, Reese, I've seen some pictures of you in like kayaks and stuff like that. So you, you've done a bit of this, right? Approaching from a craft. Yeah, I, I do a lot of my carp fishing out of a kayak um, early in the season, pre-spawn. That's how I catch most of my larger fish. And I, I would agree with you. It definitely adds a little more difficulty to it. You've got to, you know, not only is the fish maybe moving, but you're moving as well. So your your window is much more narrow to get a good presentation. For sure. Um, while we're on the subject of locating carp, I think uh, carp's habits are probably a little different in spring versus fall. So carp uh, spawn in the spring. And I have always found, and I'm curious to get your take on this, Reese, but I've always found that 
it's pretty obvious where carp are in the spring because when they're spawning, they're breaching a lot more. And for what reasons? I've, I've heard all sorts of reasons from shaking parasites, which is something, or mud, flushing mud, or I've heard all kinds of things. But in the spring, um, I've definitely noticed, you know, there's an uptick of, of carp breaching. And is that, A, do you find that as well? B, um, I feel like that's a pretty obvious sign where carp are, but also does that necessarily mean they're going to be there in the summer or fall? Yeah. So that, that breaching behavior is like you mentioned, usually clearing parasites or debris from their gills. Uh, so that's usually a sign that they're feeding in that area. Um, the reason you're seeing it in spring is probably water temperature. There, lots of people think they're this warm water fish that thrive in hot, muddy water. Um, they, they actually have a temperature range, ideal temperature range, closer to a smallmouth bass or northern pike. So it could just simply be that they're feeding less in the summer because the water's too warm um, and they're, they're in deeper water. For sure, yeah. Mark and uh, Zach and I went out on the Connecticut River recently and uh, to a spot that historically has been good and we knew it was early and it was hot but we really had nothing else going on and we blanked uh pretty hard on it we were spinning rods we didn't have a baiting campaign ahead of time and stuff like that but um it was still fun and you know definitely carpy water but so so there's absolutely ideal times to fish for carp and less ideal times so on the fly rod what are your ideal times to to fish for carp? Uh, I would say my favorite time of year is generally mid-May. Of course, that can vary a little depending on the weather you're getting that year. Um, you know, when that water's warming up into the mid to high 60s, that's, that's time to drop everything and get out. Those bigger fish, they start to move up into shallow water. Um, mm -hmm. They're starting to think about spawning and they, they move into the shallow bays and they feed heavy. Nice. Um, what about fall? Uh, what can you expect as, as far as um, fishing for carp on the fly in the fall? You know, personally, I it's steady for me in the fall, um, but it's, it's not nearly as good as the spring. And I would even say it's not as good as summer. Um, that's just me personally. I know a lot of people that do really well in the fall, mm -hmm. but I, I struggle. Well, that's interesting. I mean, you know, again, um, I do a lot of carp fishing with, with rod and reel and all the bait alarms and stuff like that. And, um, I make my own boilies and have my own recipes and stuff like that. And, um, the fall is definitely good, but that's, a whole nother means of trying to catch, you know, wh what you're deploying as, as your technique. So um, it's definitely interesting to hear you say that, you know, the fall on the fly rod is, is not, not as hot as, you know, it would be in the spring and summer. So as far as like water types, and um, we can split this up in between like, river systems and lakes and ponds but 
you know, what type of water type we've talked, you, you've mentioned like in shallow water and in skinnier water and stuff like that, but what kind of water types are you looking for in both uh, rivers and ponds and lakes? Yeah. So just to clear this up quick, this is all site fishing, 100% site fishing. So if you're in more than three feet of water, you're, you're not going to have anything going on for you. So I'm looking for in lakes and ponds, uh, shallow bays, setbacks, anywhere, you know, large mud flats, even out in, out in the main lake. If, if you've got a hump or an island that's shallow enough, you'll, you find fish on it. Mm. Um, rivers, backwater sloughs, and even the frog water, you know, if, if you've got a muddy eddy off a main current that's got some plant life and it's got bug life, uh, that can be a good spot to look. Right on. Um, let's talk a little bit about what you might encounter when you actually find carp. So, and what I, what I mean by that is um, when you're sight fishing, I feel like there's certain phases that you'll, you'll find carp in and um, I might define them differently than you or, or somebody else, but, um, the way I break it down is like, there's, I'll, I'll call them like sunning carp, um, tailing carp where they're just head down, tail up and plant moving really slowly. And then carp that are rooting that will come through a flat and kind of move through quick with their head down and they might go down and up, but they're moving fairly somewhat, you know, with, with some urgency through an area. What do you look for? Um, you know, in presenting a fly to a carp in those scenarios, do you find one's better than the other? Yeah, so I would, I would categorize it similar to how you did, um, tailing fish, sunning fish, but I split the cruisers into a cruising fish, which is they're going somewhere, they're moving fast, whether they're spooked generally is what it is or whatever reason, who knows why a carp does what it does. Um, Sometimes you will get those slowly cruising fish, which like you mentioned, they'll, they'll stop, they'll pluck something out of the bottom. Uh, and those fish I, I will cast at, but a tailing fish is the best target you can get. Um, and do you find that the tailing fish is the best target that you can get because it's somewhat easier to get? And we're gonna talk about presentation, but do you find that that's the best scenario to get your fly into position without spooking them? Uh, that, and you know, they're, they're feeding heavily. Carp aren't really an opportunistic feeder as opposed to most other fish we fish for with a fly rod. Um, they're, they're either eating or they're not. So to find that fish when it's feeding is ideal. Uh, they're pretty preoccupied as far as carp go. They're not the spookiest when they're tailing. They're kicking up a lot of mud. They're making commotion themselves. It's easy to get right up on them. And, uh, you know, like you mentioned, they're just, they're sitting there, they're happy, and it's easy to feed a fly to them. For sure. Um, <clears throat> Derek, do you mind if I jump in here real quick? One thing that in my mind when you were just talking about that, Reese, is um, the different uh, modes that the fish will be in and then the different types of water. Does that change according to the season? Will you see more tail in different times of the year or or – can you speak to that at all? 
not necessarily. You know, if they're if you're finding feeding fish, you'll see tailing fish. Um, there are exceptions throughout the country. I know of a few. Uh, the, the Great Lakes being one, Lake Michigan more specifically. Um, but generally, if you find feeding carp, they're going to be sifting food out of the bottom. Right on. Um, I mean, we'll get into this with fly selection. And we've talking, we're, we're, we've been pretty much focusing on um, carp feeding off the bottom. But there are rare occasions where I've seen carp feed off the surface um there are rare occasions where you might have like mulberries and and carp will feed on that how often do you run into that situation uh i don't run into it a ton i'll find fish feeding on cottonwood at times and also trico hatches um i'll find them feeding on the spinner falls but it's it's really tough it's sporadic rising fish um they actually rise more like a trout than that clooping, which you'll see them doing at times. And it's it, it's just really tough. Um, I have had some good shots at fish off the top, though. But it's not that successful. It doesn't go that well, right? Um, you know, again, I know guys. I know some guys in Connecticut that do well catching them on dries. But where I am, it's just it's not something I see a lot of. And when I do, the, those fish are especially spooky. For sure. I mean, that's got to be pretty cool if you can do that. And I think that just goes to show how um, fishing for carp can vary from river to river or, or pond to pond. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, um, at least I've found, you know, on the fly rod that some places are just incredibly tough and some not, not so much. Um, so it's interesting, you know, to hear, hear that, you know, it's effective in some places, you know, you know, of some, you know, some friends or whatnot that have had success, but where you fish, it's just, it's really tough. And I think that's what you're going to find in carp fishing. Like, there might be some places where you might hear your buddy say like, Oh, I just dead drift. You know, I put a woolly bugger in front of it and it ate it. And that's great. And then in other places it's like, yeah, good luck with that. You know, it's, it's just different. So um, I think when you find these fish, you know, don't, don't be quick to give up. They can be incredibly hard, I think. And, and there are places where they're not incredibly hard, where they'll eat like egg patterns or something. If you have mulberries, I don't know, like that. I, I just to uh, jump in real quick. We were talking about those sunning fish. I found for whatever reason, um, egg patterns work great for those sunning fish. No kidding. Which they, they aren't a great target to cast at in general, but if, if you're not finding feeding fish and you see sunners, uh, I've I've done really well with egg patterns. Awesome. Any can can you can you take a moment to explain the difference between a tailing and a sunning fish to somebody who maybe is not a, a carp fisherman that doesn't know? Those are yeah, pretty. Yeah. So your tailing fish will be uh, your tailing fish is going to be nose down. Uh, you'll see that tail waving up, and they'll be down, rooting around in the bottom, kicking up mud, kicking up bubbles. 
and your sunning fish is kind of just floating just under the surface, not really moving. Lots of times their fins won't even be moving. Um, just as the name suggests, sunning themselves. And and those are probably the hardest to catch, would you say, fish? Um, I would put them second to a fast cruising fish. So you think fast cruising fish are the hardest? Yeah, I won't even. If they're moving, so, and if they're moving say, I won't even cast at them. Just to back up, when you say fast cruising, so fast cruising meaning they're going through and they don't go down at all versus... Yeah, I would say, you know, if, if they're moving walking speed or faster, um, I won't even think about making a cast out of that fish. Sure. Will you watch them for a while and see if they settle into a feeding rhythm or not? They're yeah, you know, I... I'll I'll keep an eye on them, but I find generally they they keep going. For sure. They're just not in feed mode. Essentially. Yeah. Fair enough. And all I think all of this is important, you know, like um when you're presenting to a carp, you're really reading the carp and their interest and what's what's going on. Let's move into presentation because I feel like it's um just a natural progression here. Um Presenting to a carp, ideally, without talking about fly selection yet, what are you trying to do as far as presentation and the different scenarios that you might run into with sunning carp versus tailing carp and how you would present to them? Uh, so across the board, uh, for most of this, I'm going to be speaking to tailing fish because that's your, you know, if you're new to it, that's the fish you're really looking for. Uh, sunning fish, I just try and put a light-weighted fly. Like I said, generally an egg fly, but sometimes a light-weighted damselfly nymph or a little mop fly, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, just try and get it close, eight or ten inches from the nose of that fish. And generally, like I said, you'll generally spook them, but sometimes you can get those fish. And those um, for the tailing fish, go ahead. Hold on, just to, um, so when they, when you're putting that fly eight to 10 inches from their face, um, and it's a slow sinking fly, they're taking that midwater column. Yep. Okay. Just, uh, just to clarify for, for our viewers, you know, what, what we're talking about here. Um, when they take, or you, you have a take, are you strip striking or are you, I'll generally trout set. Okay. In that scenario, because you're confident they took the fly, correct? So. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that, that covers sunning fish. So keep going. Sorry to interrupt you here. Yeah, not a problem. What uh, position you would like to get into to present to that fish before we move on from that? Um, I find generally from the side is the easiest. If you can get broadside of that fish, um, regardless whether it's tailing or sunning. Okay. Right on. Continue. Uh, yeah, so for the tailing fish, we'll do what's called a drag and drop, where you actually you cast past the fish. So the, the carp, they present kind of a interesting challenge that you need to put that fly right in front of them um, within inches for them to take it, generally speaking. But at the same time, they're spooky, and they're usually in shallow water. 
and you're generally fishing a fly with some sort of weight on it, whether it's bead chain eyes or dumbbell eyes. Um, so we do what's called a drag and drop, where you cast past the fish, and once that fly breaks through the water surface, you'll raise your rod tip and kind of skitter the fly just under the surface and drop your rod tip and let the fly fall right to the fish. Right on. So on your cast, once the line goes out, the energy completely goes out. Are you trying to like keep the fly line out of the view? Are you trying to hold your rod tip up higher so that the fly line doesn't fall? Like, are you doing anything to try? Yeah, it, it less it's definitely, uh, you know, like you said, a high rod cast, keep your rod tip high at the end of the cast. And if, even if you can keep the fly line off the water, that's, that's where that longer leader helps a lot and really comes right. into play. For sure. So you get your cast out, minimal, disruption is what we're aiming for you're trying to bring this fly within inches of the fish and drop it down in front of its face once the drop happens what are you doing uh so one of three things is going to happen best being the fish eats it um in which case good job <laughs> you've accomplished what you set out to do right uh third thing second thing uh, you spook the fish, which is going to be pretty obvious. Or sometimes your fly will just sink out of the fish's view, um, in which case I'll try and make another cast. Generally, if the fish is tailing well, you can get two or three casts on it without spooking it. Um, that really depends on the situation, though. For sure. And when you drop and you say best case scenario the carp eats the fly what are you looking for as a signal that the carp ate the fly the best thing to see is to actually watch it happen watch that fish take your fly um, sometimes it's not that obvious you might just see a flash of the lips or you'll just see the body language change you know if that fish is if it's kicking its tail to the right and you see it change direction or sometimes they'll roll and the sun will hit their scales and you'll see the fish go from a, a gray or a brown shadow to kind of a gold or mm -hmm. vice versa. Mm -hmm. um, that's a sign that whatever they're doing, they just did something different. I ran into that two weeks ago where I was on a pond or a backwater, I should say, um, local to me. And, uh, I just saw the fish flash sideways, exactly what you were saying. And I strip struck and I felt just a little dink and then the fish just bolted. So part of me was like, well, did that fish eat or did I just line it or what, what happened? But it's, it can be subtle. And I was presenting from that. I was from a, um, a drift boat and um, I was quite a ways away. So I don't know that I would have saw the actual eat. So if outside of seeing the actual take, what other means are you using to um, you know, feel a take or, or indicate of a take if you don't see the eat? 
Um, for me, it's all visual. Uh, okay. You know, I know some guys that they'll they'll keep some tension in their line and feel for a strike, or I've even heard of guys using strike indicators. But for me, it's it's either watching the fish eat or the body language of the fish changing. Um, like so, I said, I I so, do it all all visual. So I know just again from the other aspect of, of carp fishing, which isn't fly fishing. Um, and like a lot of carp anglers with, with um, spinning gear outside of the U S in the U S they use what's called a hair rig. And the reason that they use that rig is because carp will suck in and blow out stuff, um, you know, really quickly. And the hair rig will catch on the mouth when they try to blow it out. That's the whole point of the rig. It's like you're setting a trap. Do you feel like that you do that suck and blow um, in, in a fly fishing scenario? And on top of that, does it depend on um, your offering? So like a crayfish versus an egg or, or you know, um, something like a, a, there's a couple of flies with like squirmy worms built into them and stuff like that. Like, do you, is there any anything to that in fly fishing or not necessarily yeah so they're uh it's a really easy fish to miss the hook set on you're gonna miss a lot of takes um like you said the crayfish sometimes and again we'll we'll cover that when we talk about the habitat fisher in and what they're eating um i find if they're eating that they might hold on to a fly a little longer um but it, it's they'll still spit it out pretty quick uh when they feed, they actually, they take up mouthfuls of the bottom, um, mud, and that's, that's full of debris, um, pieces of sticks, leaves, and uh, they've, they've got an organ in their mouth, which is actually, it's similar to a tongue, but it can contract. It's almost if you stretched out a piece of latex and you could just stick your finger up wherever you wanted and it's, it's covered in taste buds, so they'll take in a mouthful of debris, and they can taste that food item, and they use that organ to pin it to the roof of their mouth and expel the rest. And this all happens in a half a second. Super quick. So, so like you mentioned, with the hair rig even, sometimes they'll, they can tell something's up, and they'll spit it out. Um, with a fly, if they see that fly and they take it, once they get it in their mouth, they're expelling that fly. There's no reason for them to think it's food at that point. Right. And I mean, and carp have such heightened senses, um, you know, when it, when it, when it, when it comes to that, I feel like, I mean, they're just, their um, IQ is a lot higher than a lot of anglers would care to know or admit. Um, yeah. They're, they're pretty intelligent. Fish. Very, very intelligent. Um, so, so that's that's all good info. Um, let's talk about fly selection, maybe rivers versus lakes. I mean, let's start off with like crayfish, right? Because I feel like that's a favored food item. Um, carp have they have? Do they have like teeth in their throat or or like a grinding mechanism? Yeah, they've got they've got crushing teeth in their throat. Correct. So that's why they can eat like crayfish and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. um, 
is crayfish a favored fly and we can move further into fly selection but is that a favorite fly for you to throw to carp um i'm gonna say no just because the the habitat to find fish that feed heavily on them isn't as common as you'd like it to be mm -hmm. um you know I'm, I'm sure you guys have encountered it you're fishing a trout stream and you find a pot of carp that's really when you want to fish the crayfish when you're finding fish in a freestone stream right um lots of rocks and those fish they'll be fairly aggressive i've you know i've had them chase a fly a foot or two and they'll they'll take bigger flies they'll take flies when they're moving and that can be a lot of fun fishing fish in current for sure i mean i've even though I'm a trout fisherman, most of my account encounters with carp is not in rivers. Um, and I've had kind of somewhat minimal success on crayfish. So I was curious to hear your take on it. Um, but so crayfish, good in, in river systems um, where, where crayfish are prevalent. Um, talk about a little bit you know the waters that you kind of frequent and uh fly selection and how much that really matters as far as when it comes down to hooking fish yeah so i fish the uh john montana's hybrid worm is something i fish a lot i'm just gonna throw names of a few patterns here real quick For sure uh, the the wabbit worm it's a Similar to that hybrid, it's just some worm material for a tail, some rubber legs, and some black rabbit fur. Yep. I tie those small, generally like an eight, and that's my go-to fly. Mm -hmm. um, and there's all you know, there's different variations of that fly, isn't there? There's like the Vader fly. There's all different kinds. Yeah, there's there's a ton of them. Um, you know, some generic damselfly or dragonfly nymphs, just some drab. Again, a size ten to six drab colored nymph pattern um generally they're they're not as selective as trout as far as the particular food item just because when they're they're taking up mouthfuls of the bottom they might get a leech they might get blood worms they might get crane fly larva they might get dragonflies they're not keying in on one specific food item as much interesting um are things like fly larvae good sort good good imitations of their food? I mean, they're they're giant chunks of protein for the bottom of the water. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, what about the properties of a carp fly? Um, I mean, you get some examples of of some of your favorite flies, and but what are the properties of those flies? In other words. Um, you know, oftentimes they're tied with dumbbell eyes or, or what have you, but do they ride, like when they sink, do they prop up or do they lay flat? Uh, so generally they're tied to prop up, I would say, is, is what you want. Personally, I, you know, if, if my fly's on the bottom, I'm going to say, I missed the the chance at that fish on that cast. So I want the fish to take the fly while it's dropping. Um, generally, like you said, they're tied with a bead chain or a dumbbell eye. You're going to be fishing that fly on the bottom at some point, even if it's at the end of your presentation, after your shot at that fish to take it dropping. 
and you don't want to pull up a bunch of leaves off the bottom when you're casting out a fish. Um, so flies tied to ride hookup. I'm a big fan of rubber legs on flies, rabbit fur, and uh, worm material. Nice. And what about tungsten? Is tungsten too dense, too heavy? Does that sink too too quick and is unnatural? Um, you know, if you used a small enough piece of tungsten, you could you could definitely go with that. Okay. Um, but your sink rate, if it's too quick, is probably going to go against you is what I'm feeling. Yeah. 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 I, if I have a pattern I find is productive that I like to fish, I'll generally tie it in three different weights. And when a fish is tailing, cause that's the ideal situation that you've said that you prefer and you're dropping down and you're saying the take happens on the drop, as opposed to when your, your offering hits the bottom. So you're trying to get, like you said, eight to 10 inches in front of the fish's face. Like that's really the, the target zone of where they're going to vacuum up what they see. When it's dropping, there's a fish tail down. Do you, what's the indicator? Do you just see mouth flail like, and, and suck it in? Do you, do you yeah, so, so generally, and if you can even get a little closer than that, eight to 10 inches, if you can put a fly four or six inches from that fish's mouth, that's, that's even better. Um, that's just, you know, at the end of the day, we all like to think we can make that cast, but when you're trying to put a fly in a four inch window at 20 something or 30 feet, it, it gets tough no matter how good of a caster you are. Oh yeah. Um, well, and like you said, you only get, if you're stealth, two, three shots. Yeah. Um, and, and then you're toast. Right. Yeah. So that, yes, yeah, so you know, really... I think that's, you know, the high of carp fishing is that here's your opportunity and you have to make it happen in, in maybe one or three shots. And that's what gets like, you know, your heart in your throat at that. No. You know, it's like, here it is. Like, oh, I blew it. Like you suck. No. And, no. and, and I mean, when you're first starting out to when you feel like you're getting somewhat accomplished in, in carp fishing, how many opportunities do you need to be successful? And obviously some days are harder than others, but how many shots do you, do you need to have? And what, what's, what's a fair number to be successful? I would say, you know, like you said, some are better than others, but across the board, maybe 10% of my fish, I can 10% of my shots, I can hook that fish. Right. Um, sometimes, sometimes I do better. Sometimes I get five shots at fish and catch three of them. But yeah. Um, and as generally, a, if I, as a beginner, what's a realistic, like if you got 10 shots as a beginner, like if you, uh, if you get one fish to eat, that's pretty good, right? That's yeah. You're like, doing great. Um, if we're being, it took me, it took me a full season of putting a lot of time into these fish before I even touched one. Right. So it's not easy. And no, not but at all. what is the spectrum of that you've encountered at different carp venues where 
it's just been incredibly hard versus a lot easier. Is it, does, does it vary that much or is it, you know, pretty much stream? Um, there's, there's a lot of variation. Um, you know, I've had days where you just, you can't get a shot on a fish. They're going to spook before you see them, regardless of what you do. And I've had days where you're, you have a, an insane success rate. You just, you see a fish and you catch it, but those are few and far between. Awesome. Um, so I just have some cool story questions to ask you, but just to wrap up kind of the, um, what we had planned and then we can take questions. Um, we have people coming in and out of here, but tar targeting carp in ponds versus rivers. Is there anything you'd, you'd throw out there, um, as major differences? Uh, yeah, those pond fish, they get smart quick. Um, especially the smaller the pond, the fewer carp are in there. You know, if, if you're going there a couple days a week after work and, you're showing those fish your flies and you're hooking them it gets tough quick um yeah the bigger if you can find bigger bodies of water whether it's a large river system or a big lake um you know constantly getting new fish cycling in and out of those feeding areas you're gonna have a lot easier fish to catch for sure that makes plenty of sense um you got any stories of like some monsters that you lost and or just carp that you've rolled up on that were just absolutely enormous i mean what i think what's the biggest carp you took was it like 30 pounds i think I mean, yeah a little over 30 and was it a mirror or a common that was a mirror it was a mirror right yeah it was a phenomenal fish i saw that a 30 pound class carp is unbelievable on a fly rod that's that's insane it's really 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 cool um i mean i've I've gotten 30 pound class fish on, on the spinning rod and I've been doing it for a super long time. And, um, that, that's, that's just amazing. So hats off to you on that. Um, and I do think Massachusetts, as far as size wise, I think they, they have slightly bigger carp, but feed us some stories here, man. Like, uh, what's, have you, have you ever seen anything that you would, say was approaching 40 pounds yeah i you know i've i've seen a lot of fish that i don't want to try and put a number on how big they were yeah um like the connecticut river the whole watershed has some Monster. just insane fish in it um very difficult to fish with a fly rod but yeah. uh, you know that whole watershed i've i've seen fish that you see a big 20 pound fish and and you just see one feeding among them that's significantly bigger. And and with large carp, I've always found like carp max out at a certain length, right? But then they grow in girth. And like the biggest carp I've seen, it's like you can just see like a bowling ball protruding from their sides. So like you'll have a big thick head on it with a lot of meat on the head. But then all of a sudden you just see down the sides, you just see it go like this and like this. Stuff yeah. They, like, oh. You know, I always find they, they don't look huge when you see them from the side. It's when they turn and face you that, you know, the thing looks like a barrel across its back. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, that's just, they just get super deep, man. Um, yeah. 
So have you presented flies to any fish like that before? Uh, I, I haven't had what I would consider great shots at them. Um, yeah. I was up with a friend a few weeks ago and we rolled up on two fish feeding right on a, a nice sandbar right along the drop off that were, I, I would say over 30 pounds and I just flubbed my cast and lined them. <laughs> it's still awesome though. I mean, even just going out and having a shot at something like that and being in that yeah. moment is, is it's, it's a rush for sure. Um, but I got a 30 pounder on the fly. So that's, that's just, that's just incredible. And as far as what you can expect from uh, a fight from carp, I've always thought it was somewhat similar to like striped bass fishing with a fly rod to fight. I mean, they have big, powerful tails. When these fish want to go, you can't stop them type of thing. Any advice as far as fighting carp and, and what properties like carp, um, I'm not trying to steal the answers, but like their mouths aren't really like super tough. So do you use certain kind of hooks for that? Like what, what do you have to offer as, as far as fighting fish, what to do and what to expect? Yeah. So as far as stripers go, um, I haven't done a ton of striped bass fishing, so I can't compare to the fight to that. Um, you know, you've, you've got a really good chance. You're going to see your backing. Uh, they pull hard. They fight pretty long compared to most freshwater fish. Um, they're not the fastest fish in the world generally. You know, they're not as fast as a steelhead or no. even a salmon, but they'll, they'll they'll get where they're trying to go regardless of how hard you're pulling on them. Um, I have found uh, an, an old mentor of mine, carp fishing. He showed me that uh, if you've got a fish running towards a down tree, something like that, you can pull on them and they'll just pull harder. Yep. But if you just go against every instinct you've got and give that fish slack, they'll stop running. They will just sit right where they are. They'll just, um, yeah. Cause you're not, but, they're freight trains. They're too powerful. You're not going to stop them. Yeah. If, if they're trying to get in something, you know, your best bet is just give them some slack and, you know, Calm they might come unhooked, but. Yeah, calm them down. Sometimes they'll, they'll stop and they'll slow down. Yeah. Um, also, if you can bury their nose into the bottom, you know, they've got very sensitive. They've got those big, huge lips just covered in taste buds and sensory organs that if you can pull those down into the bottom, they'll generally turn and come back towards you. Um, so side pressure is really side. important fighting these fish. So trying to keep them off balance, applying side pressure, um, yes. When when they go on the offensive and you're you need to go defensive and over pressuring them is not going to do anything for you. Um, what about landing them when they get in close? I mean, they still have a lot of power left in them, even though they're in tight. You can't just like lock down to try to land them, right? Like you you still have to. Yeah, landing them is uh, it sucks. I hate trying to land them. <laughs> Um, like you said, they've, they've still got a lot of energy. They actually, unlike most vertebrates, they don't build up lactic acid. And this is speaking to common carp. Grass carp are a different story. Um, I haven't fished for them, but they are fairly fragile. Um, common carp actually don't build up lactic acid. So it's tough to really 
tire that fish out. Um, I'll generally, you know, if I get them in and I've got my leader up to my rod, uh, about a rod's length of line out, it, it can be a back and forth for a while of a give or take of a few feet of line trying to get that fish in the net. Mm. And, you know, like I said, it's no fun, especially with bigger fish if you're your arms starting to get tired but it is what it is for sure and what are you, what are you using for a net because i feel like that's important too because if you come under gun to this show you're just <laughs> you're gonna have a hard time yeah, don't don't bring your trout net just <laughs> you know like i mentioned earlier yeah if if you're even considering fishing for carp get yourself a, a quality pair of polarized sunglasses and a large quality net that's not going to injure the fish or damage their fins um that's every bit as important as bringing your fly rod and when you say uh, a quality net to not endanger their fins so they i've seen with not appropriate nets you know their fins uh, above their head and stuff they could get sliced and stuff like that so what kind of net are you looking for like property wise of the net are you looking for rubber nets are you looking for mesh nets like yeah, I, I use a rubber net. Um, you also see lots of the European guys, the specimen yeah. fishermen, use those very fine mesh nets. That's, yeah, um, and they're huge. Yeah. Like you could fit. Yeah, they're if if you if you want to, you know, if you're fishing off a boat and you've got room to store that, that would be a great option. But for me, I, I right now I'm running one of those rising nets. That's their largest size. Mm -hmm. um, just a a standard big rubber bag net for sure yeah those um european nets are e enormous um they're pretty cool because they break down press like, yeah yeah fold up and roll them up and everything and for, yeah. for carp care they're pretty good you can make sure their fins are tucked on under and whatnot but for fly fishing it's not the most effective thing to carry around it's just not it's 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 not that that much fun to have that that thing on they're absolutely enormous so i'm shocked at the size of the net on friday night i <laughs> i mean uh zach made that made a joke that we could have camped in the net if we needed to <laughs> yeah it's uh yeah you just encompass the carp in the net you never lift just kind of pull but um no when you go outside of this country the amount of care that goes into handling the, these fish is it's like it's shocking of, of how well that they, they, they treat these fish. I mean, Matt, you, Mark, excuse me, you saw, we had a, uh, a carp cradle yeah. when we caught our fish. So there's a lot of care that, that goes into handling carp, you know, just cause they're a hardy fish, um, doesn't mean you shouldn't treat them with the utmost respect. I have, uh, found that to be rather, um, encouraging right and i wish people in this country would take more care when they're handling fish you know um i think trout fishermen typically tend to be aware of that right we've all heard you know about their slime and keep, keep them wet and there's mm -hmm. all those camps there but um i i particularly like to fish for esox you know and in how many times do you see people stick their finger in their gill and hang them straight up and down you know what i mean and it's like yeah. you know and uh, maybe you know, if there's one thing that you could learn from, from these carp fishermen, specifically the English carp fishermen, is these fish are our resource, you know. It's not like a deer. You, you know, if you shoot a deer, it's over. But if you take yeah. that fish and put it back in the water, um, 
carefully and thoughtfully and conscientiously, you may have another chance to to interact with that fish at another time. Yeah, no, there's definitely recaptures. And I I would also like to touch on this while we're talking about this. Uh, These are really long lived fish. You know, it can take 25 or 30 years for a carp to reach its maximum size. Yep. And that's just, you know, if you're, if you're handling them poorly and you're killing these fish when they're 10 pounds, you know, you're never going to see those 20 and 30 pound fish. And as Reese mentioned, you know, recapture is a really, it's an impressive thing because carp just get so smart after you catch them once. I think Reese, you touched on that, but like, you know, in some cases there's been recap, you know, not so much in this country, but other countries where they've recaptured, you know, one fish and then the fish hasn't been caught for three years and then they recapture it, which is just amazing how they go with the amount of pressure on some of these places they gave. Um, so there's plenty of videos on like YouTube as far as if you're just interested in carp fishing um, outside of the United States, just to see kind of what what that's all about and i'm sure you can find some fly fishing videos at at this point though if anybody has any questions and i know we've had people coming in and out of here and we've been talking for um for a while now close to an hour uh, i feel like we covered a lot but if you have any questions by all means fire away and we can try to answer those questions reese were there any questions that you received through um, direct messaging that you'd like to answer? Uh, yeah, we covered most of them. Um, you know, I, I had had a few few good ones. Some of my buddies, you know, the the classics. How long do I soak my flies in corn juice? Uh, <laughs> the like. Um, yeah. We don't we don't do that here. I like yeah. to keep my flies. You know, some, some places really really hard to get carp, and um, I've never added scent to a fly although i'm sure it would absolutely help and and carp absolutely dial into certain temp uh certain kinds of scents at different times of year like i'm not going to get into it but like you know if i'm um fishing traditionally like with spinning rods like techniques outside the u.s like i definitely have specific flavors that they turn on to at different times of years but i just never wanted to add scent to a fly though have you ever done that before reese or never i haven't i you know i wouldn't consider myself a purist by any means but you know just not i'm not i'm not opposed to fishing with spinning rods um like i said i've never done it for carp but for me if i'm gonna scent my flies i would just personally rather fish them with a spinning rod yeah like go that route and yeah oilies and stuff like that the way that you know people have yeah you know i I feel like if you're fishing with a scented fly you're you know it's not really the the fun of fly fishing and it's just you're fishing with bait but you're giving yourself a crutch at the same time for sure yeah go ahead let me ask a quick question here i have heard um that when you're tying flies i think we're all you know fairly proficient fly tires here how important is it to pay attention to head cement and things like that? Do you use it? Can you get? It, can you use it? Does that affect the? Yeah, um, I don't use a ton of head cement, just because I I lose a lot of flies and generally never have they don't have the chance to fall apart. <laughs> as far as my carp flies, 
uh, that solar as bone dry. Um, yeah. Not to just specifically plug one thing, but mm-hmm. that stuff really does cure pretty scent free. Um, oh, no kidding. You know, I, I haven't, haven't really found a fly with UV turning fish off. Um, you know, I'd say if, if you're that concerned about it, just rub it on a rock and get some, some natural scent on it. Right on. That's a good question, Mark. I never thought of that. Um, all right. I'm just going to scroll through and see if we have I got any. got a quick for you, Reese. Go ahead, Mark. Yep. I, and I think Derek shares this, right? When I love to catch trout on a fly rod, but I particularly love to catch brown trout on a fly rod. Is there a carp that, that is like your bucket list carp or is there something that you dream of catching or that you haven't caught maybe? Um, as you know, I've got a few destinations. Um, I mentioned Lake Michigan earlier. Um, so there's actually, they've got the invasive gobies in there mm-hmm. and the carp have keyed in to feed on them. So they feed very similar to a bonefish you could compare them to. Um, so you're fishing, you're fishing streamers to cruising fish on these expansive flats of Lake Michigan. Uh, and you're having these 20, 25 pound carp chase down streamer patterns. Um, that's, that's something I really want to do. As far as a specific fish, I, I caught probably my favorite fish to date was a white butterfly mirror koi that I took last spring. And that, that thing was pretty crazy looking. I'm looking it up right now. There should be some pictures of it. Whoa. So I've, it's funny you mentioned the Kobe's. I've heard a carp can in on, um, sorry, I'm just going through here. That, that, that fish looks like it belongs in a fish tank. For you. <laughs> no. Do, do they yeah, a little... Do they little city city park ponds have some pretty crazy looking fish in them? Yeah, we've seen some koi in some of the uh, carp ponds. We've you know similar stuff. Um, what about I've heard about carp keying in on like Alvin's or like Alvin's just a immature trout. No, um, basic. I haven't. I haven't type. seen seen any. I've I've never I haven't heard. really experienced carp eating bait fish of any kind. Yeah. I know it happens across the country, um, across the world, but I've never seen it. And to, to touch on the koi again, um, I should mention that in that whole common carp, mirror carp, koi are also part of that. And they're all, at the end of the day, they're all Cypernus carpio. They're all the same species, um, really? just different variations of it. What about grass carp? Same species, just different variations. Uh, yeah. different different species entirely all right that's what i thought so just to be clear i mean i've caught grass carp um but i mean the, i guess the what's the most dis- distinguish uh, yeah the biggest feature to separate them from carp is it there's no barbells is that the easiest without um i not on the side yeah the the no barbells and they've got that the forward facing mouth like a trout or a salmon, um, yeah. you know, carp have that crazy 
downturn, downturn. big soccer mouth with the, the little Fu Manchu barbells on them. Right. Yeah, yeah. like the, the grass carp are almost like fall fish, right? I mean, that's the closest thing yeah. Yeah. I could kind of pin it on is if you've seen a, a fall fish or dace, um, they kind of look more more like that. And I mean, they, those get huge. And those have been stocked in places where they're, I think, trying to control like a lot in golf courses and stuff. They're trying to yeah. keep the vegetation down and stuff like that. But um, that's completely different species. So that's that's cool. So, Reese, uh, that is completely new knowledge to me. I did not realize that mirror carp and common carp were the same species. So is this sort of like a color phase thing at, like you would see with like a white-tailed deer or a, or, a, or a black bear and that you see like a cinnamon phase bear or a melanistic white-tailed like that? Um, yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. So what mirror carp actually are is, um, I'm going to touch on the history real quick. Don't quote me on the any of my numbers here. Um, I believe it was in Japan. Um, they, they actually, you know, this is way, way back. Um, I think I've heard 2000 years as a rough figure. Again, don't quote me on that. Mm -hmm. They actually figured out how to breed leather carp without scales to make them easier for cleaning and it's it's been passed down through generations of carp as somewhat of a recessed gene this the the scaleless gene um mm -hmm. so you know you can have obviously there weren't carp in the u.s yet um they've been here for about 150 years now so all the fish in the u.s have there's a possibility that somewhere in their lineage, there were scaleless carp. Interesting. What, um, so in like down South and stuff, there's a lot of bow hunting for carp. Like it, it blows my mind that in one country, like the UK or whatever, like they'll actually sell carp and they're expensive. And here we're just shooting them and use, you know, using them as fertilizer that just blows my mind kind of, of, you know, different sides of the globes and the globe, excuse me. And, um, just, you know, like, does, does it drive you nuts to see people just like shoot them? It, you know, it, yeah, I encounter it and, you know, I, I'm not a huge fan of the term bow fishing either. I would just call it bow hunting for carp. Um, I'm not actually entirely opposed to it. I would never personally do it, mm -hmm. but you know, I'd, I'd say it's the same as any hunting. You need some regulations on it, um, which, you know, I could drone on about that for hours, but sure. I would say, you know, it, the fact that you can just go out and shoot every carp you see and leave them on the bank or use them as fertilizer. That's just, it's great. Yeah, I, I think that's unacceptable. Um, um, if like, I can jump in here, right. Yeah. Um, Having done some research for this conversation, right, carp was actually a prime source of food in Asia and still yep. they are eaten regularly. And uh, for those people that are fans of Meat Eater, um, I know there's got to be some out there. He just did a, a special uh, where he said, pardon my plate is the name of the is the name of the YouTube miniseries. And he ate common carp on it, right? And he mentioned specifically that this is a fish that he would be more than happy to feed to to, to guests, right? And and uh, 
to to the point that you just made that I'm not terribly opposed to bow fishing. What I am opposed to with anything is waste, right? Yeah. Um, if yeah. you're going to go out there and shoot a carp, go ahead, right? The, uh, you, stick to the regulations. Do what you got to do, but eat the damn fish, man. Like, no, don't be, don't be somebody that shoots a deer and cuts its head off and leaves the body in the woods. Same as as a carp, man. If you're gonna kill it, eat it. Right? That's the way I look at yeah, it. Me too. I think I eat it. I raise my own chickens, my own pigs, everything. The the fact that people would disrespect a life like that is patently absurd to me. Uh, to put it, to yeah. Strongly, so, you know. like I said, again, if we could see some sort of regulations with bow fishing, and I, I believe Connecticut actually, they, they do have some great regulations on carp now, um, trophy waters, and, and I believe even a slot limit in some areas on them. Um, unfortunately, Massachusetts, we don't have any regulations. Um, they're not specified as a game fish, so it's just a free-for-all. Um, you know, if you want to take your bow out there and shoot a carp or two for dinner, by all means, go for it. Just, you know, respect the resource. Like anything, catch and release, you're going to see more fish. You're going to see bigger fish. But I'm not going to tell someone not to eat a fish. Right. In, in, in terms of fish management, right, there's like a window of fish. And I don't know if this is the same with carp, but like bass, right? If you have a, ba a managed bass pond, right, there's – that slot limit bass where it just pays to take them out of the water. Almost. You know, that 8 to 12-inch bass to take them out. Statistically, they're not going to make it to breeding, and, and it gives more resources to the breeding fish, you know, and hopefully if you're out there bow fishing, you're not slamming the 40-pounders, you know, the 30-pounders. You're hitting them. You're hitting Unfortunate, unfortunately, lots of bow fishermen are, they are taking those upper-size class fish just because it's an easier target for them to hit. Um, again, I, I could spend hours whining about bow fishermen that it wouldn't fix the problem. I can't but imagine better than the small ones either, but I, I, I've actually, I've actually had times when I've been fishing a bay and I've had bow fishermen roll in and start shooting at the fish I'm, I'm fishing to. Really? Um, well, I'm a, I'm a bow hunter. So is Mark. Oh yeah. But it, you know, um, Hopefully we'll get there. You know, it's just hopefully mass increases there. I mean, you guys legalized pot first. <laughs> so hopefully you guys are following us on the uh, the carp front, like we followed yeah. you. We'll see. <laughs> All right, man. Well, um, I think we'll wrap it up. If if there's any questions, if we were talking too much, and there's questions that folks have. Um, feel free to shoot us a, a DM. We will absolutely put this up on our podcast channel um, so that people people can listen to it. Reese, we want to thank you for coming on, man. Um, you did an excellent job, and we'd love to have you on again sometime. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me, guys. Come yeah. fish. <laughs> yeah. Is this going to be posted? Yeah, man. We're gonna we're gonna post this. Um, for sure and it'll be on our podcast channel absolutely so all right guys everybody have a good night we're gonna kill this session and uh thanks again reese yeah have a good right. one guys take care reese thanks man yep thank you